from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Craig Needles Podcast here at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, downloading, rating, subscribing, all the fun things you do with the podcast. We appreciate you doing that with us. I want to talk about development today, but not in the lens that we often talk about. I want to talk about it from the perspective of how do we want to develop and how can we get green development into a place where everybody's comfortable with it here in the city of London. So to talk about that with us today, we are joined by Councillor Skylar Frank and Jared Zafman, who is the CEO of the London Home Builders Association. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, good morning. Uh, so, Skyler, this was talked about at City Hall yesterday. It was one of uh, a myriad of things. There was rent control and stuff that I've already covered in the podcast, but I want to talk about this. Um, there were conversations about what should the green development rules for the City of London be? And there were all sorts of things in there that were uh, potential conversation points. What did you take out of the conversation last night and where did it go? Yeah, I mean, yesterday there wasn't actually too much actual conversation right. about a lot of it standards because we had most committee. of it at yeah. committee um so yesterday was uh, practically unanimous support for green development standards we had one vote uh, against but uh, at the committee we discussed a lot about how we are trying to make sure that we're working with various community members to make sure that this isn't uh, overly cumbersome at the same time we do know we need to be making our climate targets we need to be building houses that are resilient to heat waves and to snowstorms and we need to be making sure that we're um, improving the the development wherever we can including, you know, wastewater conservation, biodiversity, and all that jazz. So uh, I think at committee, we did have um, a good dialogue. There are some questions asked about, you know, will this slow down permits? Will this uh, make it harder for developers and builders to build? Um, and we, I think we were able to answer some of those questions. But of course, I'm happy to chat more today with Jared uh, about some of those concerns and maybe ways that we can collaborative, collaboratively work together to try and make sustainable housing a priority. Uh, so what do you want to see from the city on this uh how do home builders in the community feel about where this conversation's at right now jared i think from the industry perspective it's really looking for a balance um you know i think there's understanding and recognition that from certainly from the federal government from the provincial government um, and obviously here in the municipal level um, there is an interest in you know increasing uh, green development standards um, and seeing what those look like exactly um, you know i think from um, my members perspective i think a lot of them would argue that you know um, they see a lot of this as what they would see as market driven and so trying a, a number of them anyways a number of our members certainly are building to a fairly high green standard at this point, um, even potentially, you know, beyond where you know council is going or, or looking to go, um, even at the you know site plan level, some of the things that council has is looking to enact now at site plan, um, a number of people are doing already, um, and I will say as well, um, you know, from our perspective too, I think one of the biggest and most important pieces is, you know, there's the the big. I think the biggest thing is the affordability aspect of all of this, and I think in you know and appreciate Skylar had certainly reached out to us and had some conversations about this and what this could look like and seeing you know what are those challenges, what's feasible, you know, depending obviously maybe have some differences of opinion on that, but um, you know certainly that to us I think is the biggest challenge and not making new homes more expensive and, and more cumbersome for new owners um, and trying to leave some of that in the builder's hands where they can, you know, and maybe it is some kind of tool set in the future that has options. Um, and I think again, you know, we're, 
the other aspect here, and, and I've certainly shared this as well with Skyler and other members of council, but um, you know, even some of maybe what the municipal interest is in looking at this um, may be fulfilled by changes coming to the building code from the provincial level as well. Um, so there's a lot of different you know pieces happening here on this on this front. Uh, let's talk about uh, a couple of different things that I've discussed in the podcast before. First, uh, the bird-friendly window aspect of this. Uh, I've done podcasts focused on that. This is something that you're in favor of, Skylar, and want to see. And, and, and that seems to be uh, a conversation the committee was on board with. Yeah, I think um, we were able to get through some aspect of bird-friendly. So really, the motion was to have any new city building have to have bird-friendly um, mm-hmm. building requirements. So that's, you know, glass that uh, the glazing has dots every couple inches. Yep. as well as lights being pointed down and being motion censored. So there's a, a bunch of different requirements. So that was more looking at our own building operations as a city. And then the second part was whenever we say bird friendly, we're going to reference a specific federal standard. So right now bird friendly can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, some people just throw some decals up on a window, the cutouts of birds, and mm-hmm. they think they're done. That actually doesn't really work. That's not based in science. I think that's based in wishful thinking, although I do appreciate the effort. Um, so it looks nice. It looks looks nice it looks cute and the second you see them you're like oh there's definitely bird strikes happening at this building yeah. um but the the standard at the federal level actually outlines what it means when we say bird friendly so it's more that we're all speaking from the same page and we all are using the same standard when we're talking about bird friendly does bird friendly windows something that bothers members of the home builder association or at the very least uh is that is there a way we could work together on that do you think it's, you know, it, uh, it, there's been ongoing conversations uh, between the Home Builder Association, members of LDI, and otherwise, um, specifically on Bird Friendly for quite some time. Um, Craig, I think you've had a local mm-hmm. champion of that subject on your show, um, and he's been quite involved in that conversation as well. And I would say there's not really full agreement, I think, on, you know, um, an interest in getting all of that installed at a full level, um, especially when it comes to single family homes. I know the push is a bit more on um, sort of the medium or higher density builds. Uh, but it does, you know, the, I think the two biggest pieces are the, and again, I think it's people are debating it, but the cost of it is certainly more than just uh, windows you would put in otherwise. And then the only other piece, which we haven't, um, to be honest, had sort of enough research on that we've found from our side mm-hmm. is, you know, does the etching and different aspects of what happens to make that bird friendly glass, does it take away or change any of the energy residual or impact for heat and heat loss or heat reduction? So, yeah. And if I could follow up on that, so sure. I completely agree there hasn't been enough research done um, in regards to that, but I was chatting actually this week with Doug Terry and even some of the stuff that we currently use for energy standards. So the concept with windows is that we want it, um, they get a higher rating if they retain heat, which is fascinating when right now in the summer, we actually don't want, you know, apartment buildings to be retaining heat because they'll become, you know, heat sinks and, and people could die from heat stroke. So it's even interesting in that regard where we currently, some of our standards might not necessarily in the long run be what we're looking for um, because in Canada the idea was you want windows that trap heat but not all the time you don't want it in the, the summer you only want it in the winter so even uh, having some research and looking into to what we are considering as um, the highest standard and what we actually want to be implementing I think is important and I'm always for a science-based approach so until we know for sure um, what the best option is I don't think it makes sense to be overly cumbersome which is why you saw in the motion we're not actually asking developers to do it we're asking the city to do it we're looking mm-hmm. at and if I could just follow up there like sure. I, I think uh, just from the industry perspective um, have very happy to see the city take the lead on this and obviously if it's something that the city is hoping to bring in in a fuller scale obviously if the city 
being the leader on this is really good to see and, and you know being that that forefront on it um, and seeing what the impact is right which is going to be helpful um, I will say from a just from a market driven perspective there is certainly just the you know and everyone has a different opinion but the aesthetics as well of what that looks like on glass and windows and you know is that your window out and how you know, I'm not I'm not the expert on all the different types of ones, but I just know that is a, a, a issue a point that comes of contention. up. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the province is also talking about this right now. It's been discussed at Queen's Park. So is that kind of hanging over what the city does as far as, well, what moves the province might make on uh, on this file and, and other surrounding files when it comes to development? Yeah, we did have a bit of a debate at council about this. So um, in the next couple of years, the federal building code is supposed to be harmonized with provincial building codes. And every single year, there's a new release of all these new standards that have to be met. Um, and they're moving along to net zero by 2030 is the goal. Uh, one of the discussions we had is, you know, municipalities are kind of at the whim of provincial and federal governments and having our own green development standards would allow us to continue along this path, despite whatever provincial or federal changes might happen or what their new you know, hot item might be. Um, so despite some of that harmonization stuff happening, we still, I think, and we could tell because we passed a council, we want to move forward on this. Um, the other thing with green development standards is that they not only look at energy efficiency, and that's what most of the building code stuff is looking at. They look at stuff like water conservation. They look at, you know, biodiversity on the, the landscaping. So um, I think it's really important that, again, we have some green development standards locally, because even with the harmonization at the provincial and federal level, that's only looking at energy efficiency, and that's only one part of a much larger larger green development standard. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that as far as waiting on other levels of government to say what they think about this stuff? Well, it's interesting because the, you know, part of the reason that they were looking for harmonization is that it's a bit of a challenge right now, or even across the country from province to province, but let alone municipality to municipality to have different standards of enforcement. Um, and so that's, you know, I think one of the reasons why you know, the, we're, they're looking at harmonization is so that um, from a competitive aspect, everyone can sort of compete and understand what they're getting into. Uh, that's certainly one of the driving forces behind it. And so, you know, we've certainly shared um, with Skylar, with council, uh, you know, our opinion that we certainly, we, you know, based on the fact that a lot of these changes are going to be coming, uh, and some of them this year in the code, um, you know, that are going to be essentially potentially superseding the municipal mm -hmm. authority, um, that those are things we should wait for. And and I would say as well, you know, there's the other aspect of the, the motion that got passed was uh, around Section 97 of the Municipal Act and ability to sort of, you know, and that's, a, in our opinion anyways, is certainly a question, and I think Scott and I share a difference of opinion on maybe what that can and can't be used for as far as applying above and beyond the building code. Um, certainly from our perspective, it's important that we stick to that. And I will say as well, you know, I think it will be interesting whenever that comes back in Q3, I believe, um, to see what staff's opinion is of some of those measures, because I know they're also as building officials have to be very cognizant of applying the code and not applying above that. Uh, and so I think from our perspective, certainly waiting, especially when a lot of these items will be coming is, is certainly what we're in favor of. Um, but we'll see how that sort of interacts when this comes back, I think. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot of, well, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen here? There, there's still some questions. It'd be cool if everyone could just get their ducks in a row and make this easier on all of us. But that's not the way this stuff goes, is it? No. And, and I will say, unfortunately, you know, we're, we're challenged right now where normally we would already have the code releases right. and it's been delayed. So 
you know, I will say we want to see that sooner than later because, you know, from both a builder perspective, but also from a municipal official perspective, it takes a long time when we're expecting 2000 plus changes to come to the code yeah. that everyone has to get up to speed with. So, you know, the sooner the better at this point so people can see it, but uh, we'll see when that happens. Uh, there's a piece in there about uh, vehicles, uh, electric vehicle charging stations in there, which uh, like I think will be needed at, at some point in the not too distant future. And you, it's easier to put those in as you're building something as opposed to put them in after you're done. That makes all the sense in the world. Parking minimums, though, was an interesting part of this. And, and and I don't know how much that that was looked at here, but there would be some that would say, hey, we shouldn't even have parking minimums at all. Just make it easier for builders to build and, and direct the housing of people who don't own cars, sort of uh, uh, central locations. Is that something that you would consider or uh, has at least been part of the discussion here? Yeah. So, I mean, the city uh, last council looked at their parking minimums and decided that 0.5 um, parking spaces per unit is required. So essentially two apartment buildings would share one spot right. if they're going down all the way to the 0.5 minimum. And some do because some don't want to pay for underground parking. Some don't want to pay for service level parking. Some people know they're on a transit route, so there's no point. Like half the building might take transit. Um, maybe it's for students. So uh, I think a lot of developers and builders are already taking advantage of those minimums. I had been in favor actually of having no minimums because even downtown, there are some buildings that are less than 0.5, but then they have to get, um, you know, a, uh, either minor variance or a zoning. I'm not sure which mm -hmm. one, but they essentially have to ask for permission to go below right. that. Um, and I, I don't think that that is necessary when we are trying to get more people to take the bus. Um, at the same time, I've heard the opposite from developers saying there is no way you could pay me to do a 0.5 per uh, unit because you know I need two parking spaces for every unit because you know I'm going to assume that whoever's going to buy this or there's going to be rent uh, it, a couple that they both have yeah. a car. Yeah. So which, it's kind of up to them. Which yeah, and fine. I'm, I'm fine leaving it up yeah, to them. Yeah. And, and I think that's something the market can take care of because I think a developer who, they say they're building a student building around the corner from here or wherever it is, they're going to know, all right, we don't need that many parking spots. However, if you're building something in the West End, maybe you're going to need two parking spots per unit. So I think that's something that the market should be able to handle, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Skylar nailed that. I mean, that's from, from our perspective as well. I think, you know, having the ability to have less if if that's what they're looking for but certainly from a market perspective that's our developers especially those that are building larger buildings you know they tend to know their customers and clientele yeah. and who may or may they not they know who they want to sell these things to or exactly. rent them or to or whatever it is and you know sometimes it is that you know a unit per parking space because that's what the the customers are going to want and expect in a certain type of building and otherwise maybe again depending on affordability levels maybe you just don't have as many and it is less expensive if you don't have to build a an underground parking garage. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, but I would say to the motion, so there are three things directed at site plan, which we already have control over. Um, so one of them was putting in 5% uh, EV charging spaces at buildings over 40 units. Um, one of them was putting short-term bike parking for uh, townhouse complexes over 10. And then another one was 50% uh, native species on landscaping. So the EV charger one I found was really um, a lightning rod for the, the media. People love talking about EVs. I keep saying EV are not going to solve our climate change problem and in fact if there's anything I would cut from my motion it would have been the EVs because mm -hmm. I, I drive an electric vehicle but just having car for car is not going to solve any of the problems we have of congestion in the city uh, any of them even right. though we're going to be spending however if there's going to be x amount cars on the road you'd rather be electric than not yeah I mean I'd rather them be buses and bikes well, but uh, fair yeah. enough but yes I hear you that, that may yeah. not be an option I guess yeah. it depends on who you're talking to but like I think having the 
option in there for electric vehicle charging makes sense on some level because some people are going to want that. I would think not as many if you're living, let's just use as an example, if you're going to live at the Forks of the Thames there at Rideout and King, a lot of people who are going to do that are, A, maybe they're going to be retired and they don't think they're going to need a car to get around, or B, they're going to be working downtown at one of the offices here. I don't need a car to get to work. I can walk there. You know what I mean? So having the option is good. It's just like the parking minimum, maybe. Having the option is good, but at the same time, we don't have to have to have it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And even in the statement, we said roughed in. So yeah. even if they're not able to put the actual um, the charger station, right. as long as it's roughed in, so then a future tenant or future owner could say, okay, we'll actually find Five people have electric vehicles in the building. I need to put in some of these. So right, okay. Uh, so what happens now then? So you know, council said you know, like most of your colleagues have said, yeah, this sounds good to me. Where does it go from here? Yeah, so the first part um, is going to get adopted into site plan bylaw by the end of the year. And so that is really, um, you know, we've been adding these directions, but we actually have to put it into our our site plan bylaw for it to be enforceable. The second part is just next time we see a city building, we're going to, you know, make sure that there's bird-friendly design on it because that's the second part of the motion. And then the bottom one, essentially by Q3, we'll hear back from staff, you know, what's the feasibility of doing green development standards. Um, We also included, and we haven't talked about it, green parking lot standards. Mm -hmm. And so that's the concept of you know maybe having low impact development bioswales trees whatever if we're going to be paving over massive amounts of the ground we should probably try and make that as environmentally friendly as possible so all of that information will get back at the end of q3 um, and then council will be able to make a decision of actually do we direct staff to move forward and make either a bylaw or a guideline document that that is more enforceable with um, with input from the development and building community as well so we're mostly talking about big buildings here jared but is there anything from the idea of building, you know, single family homes or duplexes or whatever it is that fits into this that you think is worthy of, of consideration or mention here? Well, I mean, this is, um, you know, to Skylar's point, so this is very much focused more on uh, higher density. Yes. So townhomes and, yep. and medium density buildings and above. Um, you know, I think, frankly, the where we will see maybe changes or potential changes is hard for me to say for sure. Um, but we'll likely be waiting until Q3 this year for what staff reports back on what they think as far as an additional or new bylaw could look like when it comes to green development standards, which I would imagine would apply more broadly. Uh, I don't, we don't know yet, but that's certainly probably the area where, you know, we could see. And again, that's where, you know, from our perspective, seeing that the new code changes, especially on an energy efficiency level um, um, and home tightness um, perspective, they would, those would, a lot of those we expect would come in at some point this year anyways. So, I, you know, and that would be the ones that we would probably see more applying um, to all the single family homes that would get constructed, uh, specifically on that note. And, you know, we know that in the future, or at least potentially because the the some of the um, more advanced parts of the national code speak to this, but um, could see potentially blower door tests come for every new single family home, which would be a, you know, again, increased costs, um, not massive, but certainly an additional cost. Um, But that would be testing uh, every home, new home that gets built. So those there could be some changes coming like that in the future, but we just don't know yet. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, I want to ask you, because sometimes when you talk about these conversations, people will say, well, uh, red tape stands in the way of uh, of getting new homes built. Uh, That sounds like a guy named Doug that works in Toronto. Uh, However, red red tape is this catch-all term that 
can mean things or not mean things. It's hard to really define what red tape is in some cases. Will this stand in the way in your estimation of getting more homes built? The fact that we're looking at these types of uh, types of conversations right now. I think, you know, certainly from a lot of my members' perspective, I think there's a fear that this will add delay to getting homes built. Um, and I think, you know, it, it depends, right? But it's it's more just that if we're adding more to a process that already exists and already takes a certain amount of time, I think it's reasonable that we would assume and expect that, you know, by having other pieces added to this, that it's going to add a bit more time. And, you know, even with site plan and having 5% uh, EVs roughed in, additional bike parking, uh, just having the back and forth conversation of where that's going to go on each site plan and where that's going to be located. Um, you know, I think there's a, certainly a fear from our members that it could add time just based on the fact that they're going to have to go back and forth more to figure some of those things out. Um, you know, I would say on a, on a hopeful side, um, if, if some of these things can just be dealt with quickly and swiftly, then maybe not. Um, I just think, you know, unfortunately from our members perspective, they They've had the experience and have the experience of delays with City Hall and, and not to be cliche, but, um, you know, at the end of last year, it took 44 days on average to get a permit when you're supposed to get them in a 10 day legislative time frame. So, you know, from a permit perspective, from a site plan perspective, it all adds up. Um, and I, th I think it would be challenging, at least from the very start, that it's not going to add more time to development. How can we cut the time, Skylar? Mm, great question. Well, I do think that council and staff have heard loud and clear that there are frustrations with delays, and I have heard it personally with a couple of different projects in my ward. So I don't disagree that I think that is an incredibly important piece that we need to address, and it is the municipal responsibility to ensure we have enough staff. Um, we know that both in building and planning, we are understaffed constantly. Um, and as well, I think we need to be ensuring that we keep and retain talent and seek new talent in those departments. So I don't think that that is falling on deaf ears. I think Again, in my opinion, we should be doing the right thing, and I think the right thing is trying to build sustainably and resiliently so that future homeowners don't have to retrofit their homes to meet the standards that we're trying to implement. Um, and I do think that if we are trying to do that, we should make it fair to the developers and builders that it's not going to add more time. So um, I think that hopefully with the report we're getting back from staff, staff will maybe identify some ways to make this as easy as possible. I'm in no way trying to add time or delays to the process. If it can be a simple checklist and the developer just goes through goes bing 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 i'm gonna do these five things and i'll get done here and that gets submitted and that gets looked at and everyone approves it then that's my dream so um but i'd rather do the right thing and then try to address any hiccups that come up along the way i don't want to start from a place of fear and not actually do what i think we should be doing because we might might potentially not be able to to meet some deadlines i'd rather address that when it comes through comes back to the staffing thing though absolutely and and, and that's that's the biggest part of this and if there is not enough staff, it doesn't matter what rules you do and don't put in. There's just going to be issues of getting things done. So how do we address the staffing mm -hmm. issue? And I know that's a big question. Well, and again, so it's come to council and we're looking at um, trying to, we've gotten reports actually back from planning and development saying, here's what our staff want and here's what you need to do to make them happy and here's how you can recruit more. So uh, we're spending lots of time and, and money actually. We have, um, you know, staff in those two departments who are directed to come back into the office pretty much full time, four days a week, where they used to have five days on, five days off. Um, so we're actually spending time and money trying to, to make sure people are happy at work and people are working and we're spending time and money recruiting new people. So I do think it will take, obviously, like everything at, you know, it doesn't go level. as quick as you it would like. It takes time, yeah. yeah. So but I think we are aware, we're addressing it, we're doing whatever we can to to make our talent happy. Uh, and I will say from, from the city's perspective, and um, like 
Skylar and I, I think we very much agree, and a lot of our members would agree from the point before, if things can be just simplified with checklists and I mean, we've uh, Skyler. I think is a good advocate on trying to simplify processes at City Hall, and it's certainly been appreciated from our members. And I think all of City Council is working towards that because I think we all see that certainly, you know, the, the demand and growth that is going to be happening in the industry uh, in our city uh, with the need for new homes. I mean, the growth rate is going to be astronomical over the next decade um, and beyond. And so, being ready for that is really important. And I think Council is recognizing that and looking to invest in that. And I think to speak to the staff perspective, um, we certainly acknowledge that as well and recognize that the city needs to invest in building and planning. Um, and right now, I think more than other areas, frankly. Um, I know that's selfish. Obviously, it's uh, you know biased towards the industry. But I will say that you know we need more homes built as fast as we can at this point and being ready for it. Uh, and that's going to be the best way to do it. And I think the city is on track for that. Uh, I certainly encourage it. And you know if we can incentivize staff here, um, you know because it's incredibly competitive right now for building officials of all kinds and planning officials, um, making the city a very competitive place uh, as a place to come and work. Uh, I think from a financial incentivization perspective, that's really important and certainly something that, you know, our members support and recognize and acknowledge that maybe that's something that you have to do. Maybe we should let them work from home more often. <laughs> you know, I, I'm being funny. <laughs> I, we're, you We've know, already what? had that debate, right? We are, yeah. we are very excited that staff are going to be back at City Hall very soon and uh, really looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, last thing before I let, uh, I, I let both of you go. There does need to be obviously some, I don't even know if give and take is the right word, but we do have to work together here because the city council has a, a mandate to, to see proper city building happen in this community and that's fine. But the people who build the homes in the city, if they are not here, that's a real problem because we're in a housing crisis right now. So how do we navigate that? Sometimes everyone's goals are not going to be necessarily aligned, but the big goal, which is we want to have enough places for everyone in London to live, that's, everyone feels that, the answer to that's yes. Everyone feels that way. So how do we work together and work through that? And I'll ask you first, Skylar. Sure. Yeah, well, even when I was developing um, this motion with the deputy mayor, the first thing we thought of, obviously, is we need to go and chat with the development community and with the home builders community. Um, I also spoke with, obviously, a couple environmentalists to get their take on it. So I think at any stage um, going through these processes, you have to try to consult with the community, try to consult with industry, industry stakeholders, um, because, you know, I don't build houses. I don't know exactly what's going on. And the more I can learn about it, the more I can understand where the hardships are, um, the better I can do at my job to try and remove barriers and remove red tape. So uh, I think it sounds so cliched, but honestly, it's all about having those open dialogues and trying to make sure that, you know, to your point, I think we all have the same goal as more housing. I would like it to be slightly greener. You probably would like it to be built slightly faster. Okay, well, then how can we make that work and everyone's happy? Um, so I'm just trying to make everybody happy, which is an impossible task but i mean i got jared to smile so there, there you go, go. <laughs> jared anything you want to add to that yeah no i i think it is it yeah the trying to do that is not easy um and certainly from a perspective of how we can work together to you know make improvements and get things done i think we've actually been doing that for some time now which is really nice and this term of council certainly 
I think acknowledging and recognizing the challenges and trying to do what they can to, to make this work and hearing from industry as well on maybe what the challenges are and how we can, some suggestions for improvements. Um, and even, you know, I think we'll be seeing, I, I'm particularly looking forward to this year, um, even as early as next week, um, I believe city staff will be coming forward with some uh, housekeeping amendments to the zoning bylaw that, you know, in response to industry challenges and issues that should help speed up certain processes um, and enable housing to get built faster. And that includes also uh, some changes on additional residential units and what's allowed for that. So uh, allowing for different types of intensification throughout the city, which is great, and opportunities for people to make their homes more livable and even maybe multi-generational or whatever is, is needed for them. Um, and yeah. I think even beyond this year, you know, we're certainly working with staff on some of the challenges that have existed with the London plan. There just aren't working as they should be for what we need to do for growth right now. And I think there's some acknowledgement from council on that, that maybe there's some opportunity for change there uh, to really allow for more intensification across the whole city rather than certain pockets specifically. So there's some good work happening. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear that because uh, we need it. We do not have enough houses in this community that's so... Uh that's a big problem, very clearly. Uh, Skylar, Jared, thank you both so much for, for coming in, sort of explaining this uh, on both sides to me. Appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. That's uh, Councillor Skylar Frank and Jared Zafin with the London Home Builders Association here on the Craig Needles Podcast, which you can find at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca, and wherever you get your podcasts. The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.